welcome to the Soccer Camp. It's time to break down the barriers. A show dedicated to creativity, adaptations, and purpose. Stupendous! The greatest moment I've seen in Premier League football. Real coaches. Real talk. Unbelievable! Real growth. Now, welcome your host, Roberto O.B. Hernandez. Yo, what's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Soccer Cat. Today is a very special episode. We're doing it for the first time ever. We're having two guests on at the same time. One, a returner. He just loved it so much. He helped us open up the show, Mr. Cameron Rajay. And now we have a buddy of his that is also with the Rebels, learning and coaching the Rebels way. If you guys don't know about it, make sure you guys stay tuned for the Rebels. But we got Matt. Um, They're both ECNL coaches. Hey, Cam, Matt, why don't you guys say what's up to everybody? What's going on? What's up, everybody? How's it going? Uh, We love it. We love it. We hear the excitement in their voices, and that's exactly what we need out of them tonight. And that's what they bring every day in their training sessions. But obviously, like I said, Cam's been on before. We don't want to bore you too much with his background. But Matt, you're the special new guest today. You're earning your first cap on the show. Give us a brief introduction, dude. Where are you from? And uh, how did you get involved with the beautiful game? Yeah, I don't know about special, but uh, <laughs> I'm glad to be on. I appreciate you having me on. Uh, I grew up in L.A., born and raised in L.A. County. Did a lot of my growing up uh, for the soccer years in Orange County. And did most of my playing in, uh, in Orange County growing up. So I would say picked up the game at 7 and put down the game at 19. And then coaching started at 22. For me wow and what was the first step into coaching what got you into it was it just you know you're watching the world cup one day and you say i could do better than that or what was it yeah. <laughs> that's what i did <laughs> oh, yeah. mixing up with cam here <laughs> what was it it was it was through family to be honest with you i had a cousin of mine who was uh, 10 years old at the time we lived across the street from my aunt and uncle my aunt comes over to the house, goes, hey, why don't you watch your cousin come play? And for me, she goes, she sells it to me. She goes, uh, he's playing on a good level. He's on a club team. They're a special group. I had no idea he was even playing. So for me, I wanted to go check him out. And I get out there and uh, you see these clubs spring up in Orange County. In, in like Yorba Linda, Placentia, Fullerton, there were satellite clubs that sprung up all over the place. Slammers had one, Legends have one, Pats have one. Everyone, Strikers had one. I think they still do have one. And you got picked up on one of these teams. And at this point, you know, there are five, six teams at the bronze level for some of these clubs. So I thought my cousin was playing on some high-level team. I go out there, I start watching. It's awful. You know, my cousin's team loses by six or seven. But the other team that beat him wasn't impressive either. And I figured... If this is what the youth players are learning, I want to get more involved in it. So I started just going to his training sessions, getting to know the coach, jumping in as just a volunteer, having fun with the kids. And before long, the parents had a meeting, had a little vote, and they offered me to take the team. So uh, I never overthought it. just kind of naturally went into it with ideas. And I'm an Arsenal fan. I'm going to get grief for that. But... Go Gunners, baby. <laughs> Go Gunners. I tried to just create an environment that's, that was similar to the way I envisioned the game in my head. And looking back on it now, I didn't know a thing about it, but uh, it's ended up working out all right. Nah, that's cool, man. That's cool that you were just able to get involved because you wanted to raise the level in this country, um, starting with your family. I think that's the, the biggest aspect here, right? How we're all involved in this game, I'm pretty sure it comes from family roots, and that's something that we're going to pass down to our kids. I know Cam with his daughter is going to make sure she's playing, and uh, hopefully we see her at the top level one day. But um, Cam, remind everybody real quick, you know, we obviously you were on the, the very first episode, but, you know, what made you get into coaching? What was your passion behind it? Um, I, I think for me, it was always just, just looking back at w- when I played and seeing like how many people who have been, you know, overseas and, and had, you know, national team opportunities have come back and kind of given back to to not to, to the community, but also to kids to to aspire. Because when, when I was growing up, we didn't really have that. I mean, you hear the stories about a couple of kids and, and or a couple of people that went away and they kind of just fall off. You really don't hear that much. So. For me, it was kind of like, you know what, it's it's a way for me to give back, but but truly seeing that there's another side of the game that 
maybe I could get into and maybe I like. And um, thank you know Ryan Marquez, obviously he he gave me that opportunity, and I I just fell in love with it. Like there, there there's nothing that there's no for me like I get so satisfied with seeing a player that's coming into to our program and then leaving our program and going to the next step. For me, like seeing that, seeing their development, seeing um, the stages that they went through and, and getting to where they are now, like an example for me is probably Gianna Creighton. Um, she's at UCI right now and uh, coming in, early coaching her, and now she's a starter at UCI. For me, that's that's huge. I love seeing that. I love hearing those stories. Um, and, and, and that's why I continue coaching because I just I love hearing that. I love seeing that. I love being a part of that journey for them. Oh, that's awesome, dude. And speaking on that development, I know we've we mentioned before both Cam and Matt are involved with the ECNL, which I think is a huge platform that helps these players get to the next level. Um, could you guys, Matt, maybe you first, could you speak about the importance of the ECNL and why have they been able to be so successful? Yeah, uh, I'm speaking, I'll speak on two different levels. One, as a coach outside of the platform for uh, eight years of my career or more. And then now as a coach on the other side within the platform, ECNL, when I first started coaching was a new thing. It came about probably three or four years after I started. And it was a way to bridge the gap between the high level club programs and the college platform. It was a way to consolidate it. It was a way to get all the talent on the same platform on the girls' side and a way to save colleges some money with their recruiting budget by getting all the kids um, in different showcases and in a league where the, the best talent can be showcased. And their platform, look, I think they marketed it as a collegiate bridge as a way to get exposure and they've executed and that's why the platform has been successful. So if you're going to market something as this is an identification platform for the most committed, talented, focused individuals, and then the colleges pick up on it, they see the value in it and they start recruiting out of it exclusively almost for the, the female side, then your, your, your marketing platform worked, your, your, your league worked. And uh, they've done a really good job being selective with the clubs they've admitted. They've kept the competition level high. They haven't diluted it too, too much. Although Southern California, it's tough when you travel out of state and you're playing other teams. They have ECNL programs, one per every two, 300 miles. Whereas in California, you've got one every, uh, Southern California, you have one every maybe 20, 30, 40 miles. So the dilution in Southern California is tough, but the platform remains highly competitive and successful on what it wants to deliver which is kids going to college wow no that's good I, I think it's interesting to see the perspective from outside right i think a lot of times we only hear the inside version so you know even myself I, i've never coached at the ecnl level so i only hear a lot of good things about it of course you're we're in club soccer when you soccer in america of course you're always going to get the haters right that will downplay stuff just because they're club or team isn't in that specific league so it was great to hear um that the ecnl was trying to bridge that gap between you know the the youth level and the college level and they're still doing it very very well um cam can you elaborate on what matt said about it yeah i mean yeah, we i'm gonna use this, the showcases as an example right it's all about the next step for these kids and um re most recently we had a couple teams go go to a showcase and our 05 ecnl who's coached by a great coach named Matt, they ended up, I think they, at one game, they had 40 coaches. Now, I mean, in, w when we didn't have ECNL, right, because I was part of Rebels and we didn't have ECNL, in order for us to get 40 coaches, we would have to go to numerous amount of showcases, win a National Cup, win a Regionals, and now we're maybe floating with 25, but now we're, we're one of these events and we have 40 coaches at one game the next game it could double it could stay the same right so now we're getting these kids exposed and on a completely different level than we've ever been accustomed to thanks to this platform of ecnl and, and and do you think the the coaches from all these colleges wanting to go to these showcases is it because of the relationship or um yeah, the relationship that the ECNL has created with these coaches, or is it because a lot of these coaches believe that ECNL coaches do have a leg up on the competition and develop some of the better players? 
Mm. You want to go on that one? I think like one, it, it, it's I think it's is it, it has established itself as being a top league in the United States, and the best the the best players like they market it. The best players play in this league, so and that's how they market it. So that's why you're gonna see like they came up with a post the other day with a bunch of their girls going D one certain schools, a bunch of their girls being involved with the national team. So they kind of use that as their way to express and. In, and show for their marketing purposes that this is the best league in the United States for girls soccer. Uh, I'll piggyback. I'm going to be a little bit of a devil's advocate for, for the coach I used to be at the non ECNO level because um, one, your second part of your question was, is the coaching so good at the ECNO level that we're just developing players that colleges are happy with? Definitely not the case. I mean, there are some amazing coaches on this platform. But I think in in 12 years, not on this platform, I've met some of the best coaches I've ever met doing some amazing developmental work with clubs of the community, clubs with 10, 12, 14, 15 teams that a lot of these UCNL clubs benefit from. There's a lot of work being done uh, at clubs of the community, smaller organizations with really hungry coaches who are producing some amazing players that are ready, and they deserve credit for it, that are ready for the ECNL platform. I will say the level of coaching and competition is good here. Um, the sharpness and the awareness you have to have as a coach in these games um, is incredible because it is a little bit of a chess match at times at the older age groups. Um, but I digress. Going back to the ECNL being something that college, colleges find it valuable and the showcases are full because it's a proven product. They know what they're getting. They know that if they spend $1,000 on recruiting budgets to go to an ECNL showcase, they're definitely going to see some of the best talent in the country on the women's side. That's true. Yeah, I like what you said there about there's many great coaches that are, um, you know, coaching at these other clubs that are outside of these elite platforms, whether, whether it's ECNL, EAL, MLS Next, GA, DPL, whatever it may be, right? Here in Southern California, you have uh, Coast Soccer League, and now you have SoCal, which was SCDSL, right? So I agree. A lot of times we, and I say we as a, as a soccer community, parents, players, only think like, oh, He's not that good of a coach because he's not in an MLS next or an ECNL or he or she, right? But you're right. A lot of times, just a, a flip of a polo or logo, right? Like Matt, take yourself for example. Obviously, we progress over the years, but you were a great coach where you were previously. Now, you're in the ECNL. It's not you're in the ECNL. Now you're a great coach. It's you're that coach that got to the ECNL because of the stuff that you did. And my question to you guys is. How can we, because obviously everyone wants to be in these levels, but how can we pitch it to parents that, hey, respect the coach of where you're at, because that coach may even be better than the elite platforms, or if not better, this is your journey along the way, and you have to be able to respect those. You, you, you want to go on that one first? No, you take that one. <laughs> As that guy, I've been that guy for so many years. I think, you know, in order to stand out and in order to retain players at clubs of the community and keep teams together for years and have continuity, you have to show your passion for it, your knowledge on it, your ability to communicate and manage groups. I think the, the most important thing I've learned from other guys throughout the years has been my management of my environments. And at the smaller clubs, where you have big dogs. When I was at Fram, we had Beach to my left, great club. And at that time, we had Galaxy Girls Academy to my right. And Fram were still tasked with being relevant and being competitive and proving that we had the staff and the facilities and the resources to retain players and give them the educational platform they need. And in order to do that, you have to show organization, you have to show quality in your work, you have to show details, and you have to show, you know, good passion and good management and communication skills. And if parents can recognize your natural or learned qualities, then they'll stay for you. You know, at Fram, I had a 2004 team that went from silver all the way up to, well, they started in silver at Coast. This is how far back this is. I'm dating myself a little bit here. 
but they went from uh, silver and, and kind of a very you know box standard silver team. And by the end of our time together, they were competing in CRL. They were entering the discovery division of SCDSL. They went on a journey together and they didn't get picked apart because they believed in the, the product that we were offering at a small club. And that's down to those key qualities I mentioned, the communication, the quality, the passion, the organization, just you have to, you have to really live your craft. And if parents see that they'll stick with you. And it, it, you're, there's so many guys like that at, at, at all levels, but especially at the clubs of the community, they deserve that credit. Yeah, I agree with that hundred percent. Um, like you said, kind of, uh, the passion that you, you, having the attention to detail, I, I do believe that parents will recognize that and stay. Um, it, it's definitely a difficult one, especially in youth soccer nowadays. It seems like everyone's always bouncing ship. Um, so staying on the topic of the ECNL, I know this is, you know, you're relatively new to the whole ECNL map. Cam, you've been establishing it. What is the biggest challenge, Matt, that you've seen coming from Fram over into the ECNL? And then, Cam, can you piggyback that, uh, off that and say, how have you seen the league grow and what was the biggest challenge in the beginning of ECNL? Sure. Where do I start? Uh, right off the bat, the, the, the parents, families, and players at this level all have ambition now. So they've decided to make sacrifices in their lives to achieve something more than just the regular club experience. The kids are pretty focused on what they want in their future and the willingness for them to do things outside of the box standard two or three days a week of training is obvious, which comes with it a whole set of problems, meaning your performance environment changes. Um, parents have playing time demands. Players are all coming from smaller teams that were the stars of the show on their smaller teams. They want to play. Um, they want to start. They want to be recognized as one of the better players on the team. So you have to now step into an environment where there's a lot of individuality. There's a lot of ego. There's a lot of me, me, me. And you have to try to turn that personality into a unified group because that's the only way to be successful. So that's one thing. Two, the level of competition is, is much higher. I told my director, Ryan, we were talking about a breakdown of the league. I think there's to be totally fair, there's probably three, maybe four teams that play with total structure, um, obvious playing style, certain philosophies. And then there's a lot of teams that are incredibly vertical, incredibly athletic. They're transition teams. And with those teams that are transition teams, they're very individually talented. So a club like ours, who's systematic, who, who, who desires creating a playing style, it creates obvious problems. And as a coach, you have to be more in tune, more aware, just better. You, you, the, the level forces you to be better with what you're currently teaching. And also, it forces you to be tactically agile enough to realize when the way you're playing isn't really working or your personnel doesn't really match the game. And how do you adjust what you're doing to keep the game competitive um, to stay relevant in the league, those so you know in a nutshell, the off the field challenges are the, the the personalities and the egos that come along with the level, and the on field challenges, the level's higher. The players are better. Um, the other coaches, although there's good coaches everywhere, like I said, the other coaches are in tune with the games as well. Every single game I had this year, there were adjustments made by the coaches mid game, quarter game, towards the end of a game, depending on the game state. It was a challenge and it was fun. I think that's one of the biggest things I think we don't put enough emphasis in. And uh, we'll talk about coaching education later. But I think a lot of times there's so much emphasis in practices and training and periodization that we forget a lot of the coaching, especially, you know, at the older age groups and then semi-pro and pro in college is it's in game, right? Like you just said, the coaches are making the tactics in game. And now you're having to watch and make the adjustments. And I think that's an element that, we need to do more as coaches. Of course, we all watch the game, but how many times do we actually watch a professional game or a college game, whatever, or maybe even go and watch another youth team, right, and break it down? And something I've been trying to do is uh, I, I believe, you know, I have a 7v7 team right now and trying to watch, I know the level's completely different, but I've been watching a lot of YouTube of La Masia 
You know, how are they playing a 3-2-1? Yeah, dude, just trying to understand the level that I currently coach at, right? I think a lot of times we watch the game, but we don't always sit there and analyze it. And I, I'm a firm believer of obviously enjoying the game, and that's why we watch it. But I think a big-time part of coaching is being able to make the adjustments on the fly. So, Matt, uh, you said, you know, that's something that the ECNL has given you and all coaches is that every coach is in tune with the game and ready to make adjustments on the fly. Cam, you've been in the league a lot longer. What can you say, you know, how has the league grown and what do you see as the biggest challenge in the ECNL, whether on or off the field? I think, one, like the, the league has grown tr tremendously, obviously, here in, in Southern California, right? Adding in some of these these new clubs that are, are coming in surfs back in it now and and it's it's obviously it's more competitive it, it's forcing i think us as i'll say like ecnl staff to really dig in and dive deep in into our teaching and and really see exactly what we need to get better at in teaching and in preparing our girls for not only our style but how can we could find success against these these big dogs Right. And the big dogs, the surfs of the world, the LAFCs, um, those kind of clubs. Right. And I think one looking at our first year in it, we were kind of like, you know, we're giddy. We're excited. We're here. We're part of it now. Um, we, we found some success, some age groups. We did really exceptionally well. I think the O3s, the 2006s and then some, it, you know, because it was the first year and, and them getting accustomed to the speed of playing things they did struggle but it was good enough for us to take some notes and sit back now unfortunately covid kind of hit and it could put us in a, a tough spot because you know we, we were on up and up we had a, a good run and how we wanted to run things and it kind of set us back a little bit but now looking at this year and, and preparing ourselves for this year i think now we have a better understanding of what it takes to be successful in the league what we need to do as a staff to prepare the players for certain situations because now everybody knows we're going to try and play we're going to try and build out the back we're going so those are opportunities for them to try and you know use their physicality to, to out, outclass us so now for us we've got to go in and teach our group our unit how to be successful in those moments and uh, looking you know looking ahead and obviously I, I think for us we're going to find a lot of success this year because the staff that we have the coaches that we brought in to, to help us i think we really have a, a good understanding of the game, good tactical knowledge of the game, students of the game, and we're going to make these adjustments. Now, just like Matt said, you have to get used to making adjustments on the fly. You have to be to be able to read the game and, and make certain changes if you need or write out what you have in order to get the certain result. So I think East, like for us, Rebels in it, we're – we're, we're doing we're all right. I mean, it's going to be our, our second year in it. So this third year, I'm, I'm excited to see what, what what's going to take place um, with with all the teams in the age groups. Uh, thank you for that, Cam. I know there's a lot, a lot of different acronyms that we throw out in youth soccer. Right. And it can get confusing at times. So for the listeners and the coaches, can you guys go into exactly what the difference is between the ECNL and the ECRL? So well, the the ECNL, let, let's just say like to, to make it simple, th those are the, the top teams. So East, the the teams are are let's have ECNL next to their name, like let's say Rebels 2005 ECNL, that's the top team. Now if you see um, Rebels 2005 ECNL RL, that's the the second team. Um, that, and that's pretty much the, the easiest way to break it down. Now um, what I know that, that they've done nowadays um, with the RL they've added now, I think they have playoffs now for RL. They now have showcases for RL. So now those players involved in that RL platform uh, are getting the same, the similar, similar exposure to what the ECNL players are getting with the showcases and certain events like that. Is it so kind of like a reserve league or secondary league to the ECNL? I think that's probably going to depend on yeah. how each club philosophically treats their second team. Okay. You know? Yeah, I gotcha. Um, it's just interesting because I know a lot of youth soccer is kind of moving to that, right? You have the GA, then you have the DPL, you have the MLS next, and then you have what's trying to be the reserve league, the EAL. So I was just kind of curious. A lot of It looks like a lot of leagues are trying to go that way. So that's great to hear because obviously we always hear ECNL and ECRL, so I kind of wanted to understand the the difference um going into 
recruiting the best players. Obviously, we talked about, you know, recruiting a little bit. How can Matt, especially because I know you were with Fram and it probably happened to you, how can you now as an ECNL coach recruit the top talent? Because I believe the top talent should be in the top leagues, but without stepping on the toes. And don't get me wrong, a coach is still going to get mad because, you know, players are going. But how can it be done in a proper way from club to club, either ECNL club to ECNL club or, you know, recruiting a player outside of ECNL? It's a pretty good question. One that I mean, we just finished this process, so one that is is current. ECNL to ECNL, it, it, I'm, I'm not sure it happens in a in a in a malicious way because the what happens with ECNL is either a player is has outgrown their current team and is ready to move to a one of the top four or five power clubs, or a player at one of the top four or five power clubs has fallen out of the rotation and is not earning the minutes that she she likes and she needs to move to a, an environment where she can you know claw and earn some of that time back so I, I don't i think it seems like most ecnl to ecnl transfers are mutual where or at least at the very least understood without any sort of malicious back and forth between the, the clubs and the um the staff uh, that's my experience from year one uh, we've had players in our program leave for what they felt were stronger uh, organizations. And then we've also had players leave where they are because they felt like we were a better fit for them. And none of those were met really with any sort of friction, right, Cam? You, you uh, wouldn't say that. I, I don't think so. I think, I mean, it, it all depends too on, on what that family wants, whatever the case, if they want to leave, if they want to come, like what, what they want out of it. And you already said, you know, they could have fell out of rotation um then to a it's on what the, the club can offer i mean for us our, our big selling point is our style like th that's that's our big that's one of our big selling points we're going to teach how to become a better decision maker based on our style of play so if that's something that let's say you had a daughter roberto and that's something that you say you know what that's good like i, I really like that let's give rebels a chance and let's see if they could really build because we know you know the background of rebels and you know this is a home for you um, so yeah, I wouldn't say there's anything like no maliciousness or anything like that from other clubs there, um, unless you do recruiting, um, during a certain, like you're not, you're not supposed to recruit during a, um, ECNL season. So we do have, there is rules to it. So you can't recruit other ECNL players during the ECNL season. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. I feel like Roberto wants us to go there. Uh, he does. I, I without, do. I'll tell you this without saying. I, I can't say no name. Without saying any names. <laughs> I ain't going to say no name. They're just like every other area of life. There's been some significant bending of otherwise firm rules that we've encountered this year. Um, I, I think club to club, it's going to depend on your values, right? And this, this is why I moved down here. Rebels has values, right? And when there are rules in place and rules based on spirit, we're going to abide by them. Did we see that respect given back to us? De definitely not. No. Definitely not throughout the season. There are, there are clubs who earn um, their reputations based on their talent identification abilities and their ability to be um, excellent recruiters. And, and they do it well. It's no knock on them, but they just do it at times where it's definitely restricted. But those are realities, right? Those, those are things that are never going to go away. I think a more interesting question, Roberto, is the one you asked me about recruiting to the non-ECNL level. And I want to touch on this because at Fram, there were times with my 2004s that I had one or two players who were definitely ready for the next platform. So here's how I handled it when I was at Fram. I knew that the next logical step was to move to a rival club, most likely Beach. All right, Beach have an excellent developmental platform. I really respect what Beach do. I get in contact with the Beach coach. I sit down with him, have lunch. We talk about the player in question. She's at an age where she's learned well. She's developed well on her own, and she's ready for that next step. And I'm not in the business of holding players back because decisions dictate everything. If these kids don't make the right decisions at the right times, then certain opportunities can pass by. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying smaller clubs can't get the job done because they most certainly can. But it is way easier for identification, both collegially and for the national team, if you go to a club that's already in the limelight. 
So when I let this player go, and it was mutual, there was no fighting. It was totally, it was, hey, thank you for a great five years. This is the right choice for you. And she went to beach. She's now in the national pool. And she's now playing for one of the best, well, what it was last year, pre-COVID, one of the best developmental academies in the country. Yeah. So I'm happy with that. I think that that's part of it. So when I go to recruit kids as an ECNL coach now, who are at non-ECNL clubs, it comes down to, first of all, age. I have the 2005s. They're at the point now where they have to make the decision, right? And there's a lot of coaches at the non-ECNL levels who have to look at their teams and think, am I holding this kid back from something she definitely deserves? And some coaches are really cool. They get it. They're ready to send the kid. They, they realize it's her time to go. And they realize that the platform makes sense for her. And then there are other guys who will do anything to keep that kid with them, even if it's at the detriment of the kid's future. And we all know those coaches and we all know those situations. They happen. Yeah, Those are harder. 100%. I, I, it's funny that egos get in the way from the development of the kids, right? Every coach says that they're in the you know coaching world to develop. But then when the opportunity comes to, I guess, showcase that development that the coach has done, I guess, for lack of better words, they, they step in and they get in, the, uh, get in the way. Like I always say, if you're coaching a B team, your job isn't really to get the results on the field. It's to develop the players. And if the A team takes three, four players, well, hats off. That's success, right? You're having success developing players. And the same thing goes. If they're going into the MLS Next or ECNL, then you did your job. You prepared them to get into that platform and that's a level of success too that coach can coaches can hang their hat on so i agree with you matt i think a little you know sometimes we got to get out of the way as coaches and uh you know help our players get to the next level possible and i think going about it in the correct way reaching out um to the to the coaches is is definitely a great way to do it because i know there's been a lot of uh I guess malicious ways of recruiting in the in the youth soccer game. So now I appreciate that. Um, thanks for the honesty, Cam. Do you want to put anything into that about how to recruit from non ECNL clubs? <laughs> well, just to pick about what Matt said, that player that he did mention, I did see her play. She's incredible, incredible. Um, other than that, I mean. When it comes to recruit, like for me, it, when it comes to recruiting kids outside of uh, the ECNL, it's just just letting them know what we offer. And I be, think now a lot of people know what <clears throat> we've done for certain kids, and we do have a good um, background here. And obviously, the community we've grown now in Chula Vista, so a lot of people know exactly who Rebels are, who's part of Rebels. But I mean, mainly that, that's mainly it. Now, for me, it, it's funny that you mentioned bringing up kids from the second team to the to the top team, because for me, I'm I'm bringing up kids to myself because I coach the the RL team for the 2009s and the top team for the 2009s. But it, it, it's cool. Like for me, it's cool to see because now I get to see you know the, the whole development of both both those kids. But getting back to the recruiting. Um, yeah, it's just mainly just showing them exactly what we have to offer and how we can get their kids to the next level. Roberta, if you don't mind, I want to, I, I got to say something though, because I feel like something's missing out of this. <laughs> and look, you cut me off. If you, you cut me off whenever you want, Roberto. This is your show here, but then look, it's all well and good to try and do the right thing and promote kids from one platform to the next when they're ready. However, there's a big elephant in the room and a lot of really passionate guys are pouring their heart and soul into this job. And we know it's, it's a, it's a modest income. And if a lot of these guys will lose teams over letting their best kids go to higher level platforms. And we know that that's true and that's how it is. So how, unless the director or the club has a, either has this, the back of the coach that's letting their best players go or they have a big enough player pool to plug the gap left by the player who leaves. It becomes very tempting to hold on to that kid for not just ego reasons, but also for financial security. Because if that one kid leaves at U14, it creates a domino effect. And four or five kids now go, well, she's leaving. I'm going to go. And all of a sudden, if you're that passionate guy who wants to make a living out of this, who I have been and others like me have been, you really can't afford to let that kid go. Because that is also... It's your passion is also your livelihood. 
So what do you do? There, there's not enough incentive to let her go. Yeah, I agree with that 100%. And I think that's where we're still have we're completely, not completely, what's the word I'm looking for? We're still far behind in the sense of youth soccer as a whole in the nation, right? Because a lot of times directors even have to make decisions based off of just strictly financials rather than what's better for the player, what's better for the parent or the coach even. So I agree with you 100%, Matt. There's no perfect uh, you know situation but in an id uh, id ideal world you know we would love for the coach to let those players move on but i agree with you 100 percent. the coach is sometimes letting that player go and the team falls apart because once one player goes like you said a domino effect happens and every, every player goes and i think that's something that we don't talk about enough and i i appreciate you matt for bringing that up is sometimes it is true uh it's a financial decision sometimes even the roster sizes right Sometimes it's, hey, you need 17 players on the roster or else we can't afford to pay you the X amount of dollars. So I do agree with that. And I think it's something that as a whole in the U.S. soccer, we do need a fix because I I do believe there's a lot of players that can't move on to a different level or potentially even there's players on a roster that don't belong there but are there because the coach needs them for financial reasons. So yeah. thanks, Matt. No, I appreciate it. Um. Dude, I'll never cut you off. Go ahead. All the time. Um, <laughs> one thing I want to talk about is the ECNL, obviously, is a very heavily recruited college platform. Um, how many times do you think throughout the season and what are the ways to go about it that college coaches reach out to you guys if you are coaching at the high school level age? And do they reach out multiple times? Do they reach out to the player first or do they reach out to you first? Or are you guys the first ones to initiate contact? Um, so we, we do have the luxury of having a college director. So, uh, college director, Christian, he kind of handles all that communication with the, the families and then the player. Now, yes, sometimes they do, um, talk to us, whether it be on the sideline through email, text, whatever the case may be. The most of my interactions with college coaches is one, I've, I've either I've known them before. Um, and they're on the sideline, they, you know, we come and talk and they let me know who they're interested in or whatever the case may be. Um, or even just going from game to game as, as you know, we're coaching and you, you'll see the same guy and just start up a conversation. And that's another way. But mainly it, it could go from probably emails, emails or, or, or phone calls. That's probably the usual. But, yeah, I mean, they, they go through Christian. Like a lot of it now, thank God we're blessed to have a, a college director. And Christian, you know, he's pretty hands on with our girls. Uh, in, in getting them the information, who's interested, who's not, you know, who's not, where where do you want to go, and all that kind of stuff for them. What I know, you guys are able to have a college, you know, director, but before you guys had it, or if you had to deal with it in a different club, what's yeah. the best advice that you can give a coach that maybe not be in the ECNL program or platform, but wants to help a couple of his players get into the college level? What's the best advice for them? I think for for them, it's one he's got to feel out his team and see exactly like where, where they want to go. Right. Cause I, I remember years ago when I was coaching, I had what, like I had a couple of kids that wanted to go East coast. So I was like, well, shoot, how the hell am I going to do it? Get East coast schools out here. So, you know, looking, we did our research and we ended up finding a, a local tournament. Uh, I don't remember the name of it, but there was maybe like three or four um, schools that some of the girls are interested in. So I think for them, it's really figuring out what schools their girls want to go to. Now, once you're there and in that environment, I mean, these guys, they love the game. They're out there. They're watching games. Talk to them. Like, get to know them. Create that little relationship because that relationship can go a long way. And and now you can start that dialogue. And, and now you maybe exchange numbers. And now, you know, you could let them know, hey, this kid's interested, whatever the case may be. But really being proactive for your team, for your girls, for your boys, whatever the case may be. To, to be to be able to to get that resource for them because again I mean that's the end target right we want to get these boys and girls into, into colleges so us as coaches we do have to do our job if we're not getting the looks that we need to be getting right from league play or tournament play then we have to do the other things in order to get them out to the games yeah I'll touch on that as well coming from Fram I got to give a little love to one of my one of my boys that's still there his name's Jack Gidney. And uh, he does a really, really good job supporting his kids, educating his kids, and getting – see, look, there's, there's hundreds of colleges in this country, and there's so many different levels. Once the kids 
sort of come to grips with where they belong in the college soccer landscape, you'll find if they're willing, there's a school for a lot of different levels of player. And at Fram, we don't have the platform. Uh, we didn't really have the exposure. We weren't really winning national cups and going to national title games. We could find that exposure. So it comes down to the coach educating the players on how to do the work to get themselves seen. And you can take advantage of the current climate. Video clips, highlights is how all of us take in information now. So if the girls create an enticing clip, an enticing highlight, and they send it out to the right coach, and it's interesting enough, then dialogue can happen at any club. But the coach has to educate the kids on that process. The kids have to be actively engaged in that process. And then you marry those two worlds together and you can garner some interest. It's harder that way because it takes old-fashioned hard work. The, the other platforms like GA and ECNL, they attract that interest naturally. But the non-level, non-ECNL and GA levels can still attract that interest. You just have to do more manual work. You just have to do more manual work. I gotcha. And from what I'm taking, it kind of sounds like a lot of networking, right, Cam and uh, Matt, you guys say it. it's a networking over the years, building a trustworthy relationship with that college coach. Now they understand, you know, hey, this is Cam. You know, when I call him and I ask for, you know, his two cents on a player, he's going to be honest about it. He's not going to try to sell me a dream on a player that isn't at that yeah. level. And I think I think that's yeah. a credibility, right? A lot of times you get coaches that will sell you something. You know, I've been on that side of the college game where a coach, you call a coach and like, oh, great person, great, um, you know, player. They're going to fight no matter what. And then they get to your program and you're like, Dude, where's that player? Did you, did you send me someone else by mistake? Um, yeah. So I think, you know, building that network, but also keeping that credibility and being honest. If a player tells you, I want to go to UCLA, can you call the coach? If they're not a UCLA level player, he's got to be like, unfortunately, I can't. I don't believe, you know, you're not at that level. Can you get to that level? Maybe. But just being honest with the players as well. So I really appreciate that. Now, kind of switching focus a little bit. Want to give a shout out to Cam. Congratulations on earning your B USSF B license. Um, thank you, brother. Thank you. Yeah, thank I know it's a it's a long process, especially in in uh, our the current climate. So I wanted to, Cam, can you just briefly talk about the whole experience and what it was like taking a license during COVID and quarantine? Ooh, here we, oh, US soccer's listening. Uh, US soccer's listening. No, I mean, look, like. This course what started in September, and we just I just got my, my results about a week ago. So it, one it was it hard during COVID? Absolutely. I mean, for me, I would rather it be in a regular year where, you know, we would have to go. I think it's the ten or fifteen days to Kansas City and get it done. But but now you're asking us, you know, and and, and we we all got things going on at home, life, right, and. It just makes it that more difficult because, uh, I mean, my wife and I, we were talking about it. And there's times when I had to pick up my daughter and I had to jump on uh, a meeting with my course. So here I am with, you know, my daughter, she's in the course with me. And I'm trying to figure out how's a, a 4-3-3 going to work against a 3-5-2. So she earned a B <laughs> license as well. Yeah, she uh, definitely, she, I'll say it, she got a, a B minus license. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I mean, it's things like that. But the, the people I met on the course, um, my other classmates, um, shout out to uh, Janino, shout out to Corey, Anthony, um, really good guys. We, uh, we, we had a couple projects together. And, you, you know, you still get a network in a way. Now, when it comes to the coursework in, and all that, it's just, you know, turning your stuff in on time, making the adjustments that your instructor um, commented on. Shout out to Neil, one, you know, he's a really good instructor, helped me out throughout the whole course. But other than that, like once you set your mind to it, it, it it's something that obviously if you're passionate about, you will find success with it. It's just, you know, it is challenging. At the end of the day, it, it's a challenge. It's not going to be an easy um, task. Got it. And what was your biggest takeaway from it as a whole? I know probably they covered many different topics, but what was your biggest takeaway that you would like, you know, listeners to know about? I think for for me, 
looking looking at it and how it affected me as as a coach, it really made me look back at myself and it kind of showed me my flaws, exactly what I need to do and get better at as as a coach, as a role model. Um, because I think there's some times when we do get away from it. I, I mean, I'm, I'm going to be honest. I, I do have a tendency of I, I, I go at the ref sometimes. And that's one of the things that my instructor and I, we, we talked about. We figured out ways to how can we improve that? What do we need to do? And we, we found a way that, you know, maybe it's not just the dialogue, but maybe I go up to the ref before the game and say, hey, look, I'm working on, on such and such. You know, can you help me out in that way? But that could go both ways, right? Because I'm letting the ref know that. Now he might be a little lenient on some of the, you know, on some of the calls. So it, there, there's things like that, but it really showed me like, um, one of my biggest flaws and, and Matt's been helping me out tremendously with it is just communication. Like I, I need to do better at, at communicating with my families, communicating, um, with players, letting them know, you know, where I see them or what I need to improve on it. And for me, it really showed me, Hey, I got to get better in this area. If I want to be the coach who, you know, I, I aspire to be, I want to be the, the direction I want to go with my coaching. I have to get better in this area. So, and, it goes hand in hand, right? Because we ask so much from our players. We've got to be able to do the same thing too. So, and, and believe it or not, this course does rely on a lot of reflecting. Like you're going to reflect a bunch on your sessions, your training, not even that, like the development. What are you doing in your own environment to, to better your kids? So that's one thing that I'd say I really took away from that. And that's a big component, right? I think Julian Nagelsman says 70% of what we do is just man management, right? Relationships, and then 30% tactics. So I think that's a big component, Matt. I mean, Cam, and a way to acknowledge that you need to get better at it. So I appreciate that. Now, aside from gaining the license, and Matt, you can chime in here, was the course worth it? You know, was the B course worth it? Was the C course worth it? Worth it? Was the D course worth it? Because obviously, it's worth it in the sense of getting the license next to your name. To be able yeah. to be in certain platforms yeah. or or sometimes even uh, let's be honest, bigger paycheck, right? But was it worth it just from the content? And Matt, you can share your two cents as well. Um, was it worth it? I think yes, it's worth it because at the end of the day, we're asking our kids to be committed to to our teams, to be students of the game. And if we're asking them to be students of the game, then we have to ask the same thing from ourselves. We have to, as coaches, have to to learn to, to get better, to make improvements, because it's the same thing we're asking them. So now, in, in uh, you know, one, let me say my 2005s, the 2006s, uh, even the high school team, they helped me out tremendously because they, they saw that I had to prepare for this course. I had to record some sessions and, and present it to my instructor. And yes, I was nervous. Yes, I was probably flustered at times about because it wasn't perfect. But that's part of that whole learning process. And that's the same thing we're asking our players day in, day out from trainings to games to all that. So is it worth it? Yes, because I'm a student. I'm learning. I'm still learning this game. I learn every moment that I'm on the field. Every game, I'm learning something new about myself, about my team, about the game itself. So um yeah and i mean it's nice to, to have that license to be considered you know a b-level licensed coach it, it's really cool i've gotten a lot of love for it um but it, it's definitely worth it if, if that's the direction you want to go as a coach let me scoop my chair away from camera real quick. Uh... <laughs> first of all congratulations to cam there were a few uh... nights we were traveling whether it's Arizona or other states we've traveled to. And this guy was up at, you know, 10, 11, 1 o'clock in the morning, whatever it may be, working on that license. So credit to him for finishing. I'm proud of him. It's a big accomplishment for obvious reasons. My, I'm not a B-licensed coach. And, and my, I think there's tremendous value in them. I think that it shows a lot about who you are to do the course. Um, your commitment to your craft, you know, jumping through the correct hoops to to make sure that you reach your ambitions. There's all these positive things to the course. I'm not really knocking the courses at all. My only fundamental sort of you know point that I want to bring up is that they evaluate you on the coach that they want you to be versus the coach that you are. And that's my big thing. And I don't want to get philosophical here too much, but coaching for me 
is, in my opinion, it's just mine, but it's artistic. It's an art form. It's your, it's who you are. It's, it's, seriously, it's absolutely who you are. And even coming down here to Rebels, there are so many guys who come together in these, this, these ECNL meetings who all have different ideas on who they are, what they want to be, the way they see the game. It's personal. So although there are universal wrongs in our game, there are universal principles that you have to know that you have to get right. Underneath that umbrella, you can deliver your information and introduce your style however you'd like, as long as you get those universal principles correct. So I find coaching to be like a religion. You can't you can have yours and you shouldn't be telling other people theirs is wrong. You know, I, I so when you go to these coaching courses, I struggle to be myself. I struggle to be evaluated as Matt because I go there trying to be what somebody else wants me to be. And I trip all over the place and I'm in my head about it. I don't know what they really want from me. It's totally unique and, and, and different to what I am. So I find the courses strenuous. Cam just powers through the courses. He doesn't even think that far into it. He just goes straight into it, handles them, knocks them out. I, on the other hand, find the structure of them to be challenging for a personality like mine. We're just different. It's, 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 that's the long and short of it. I agree with you 1,000%, Matt. I've, I've always talked about this. I've talked about it with Cam. I've talked about it with other coaches that I believe the licensing is good. I believe that the content is good. And of course, it's just like when we're going to school, university, right? We're trying to learn certain um, aspects and that's why we're taking the class. So I believe the content is fine. But like you said, I would love for them to be able to come to my environment or, and I know it's, it's, it's kind of, that's an ideal world, right? Cause there's a lot of travel, a lot of costs, but where they say every license, maybe just the topic is more advanced, right? Maybe the D license is, is something very uh, simple, right? Switching the point of attack or something like that. Then you go the C license and it becomes more integral where you have to do a specific aspect of switching the point of attack. Or now you go to the B license and um, maybe it's coaching in a game, right? Maybe the, the other team, they're doing something specifically to see how you react as a coach and can you read it. But I agree with you, Matt. Can they come to your own environment and give you a topic and see the way you coach it? And are you able to actually coach the topic, right? Whether you're coaching it and just because all the listeners know who, who we're talking about, whether you're coaching in a Joseph Mourinho style or whether you're coaching in a Pep Guardiola style. It, those two managers, style-wise, are way different, but success-wise, are some of the best coaches in the world. So I agree yeah, with you, yeah. Matt. It, mutually my my challenge in in the question i'll pose is why can't they come to our environment and i don't mean traveling in person but the world over the last 12 months has changed to the point where most big financial decisions business decisions interpersonal relationships are done over zoom we're doing it now you you're, you're four or five hundred miles you're 400 miles away from us or whatever it might be and yet we're talking here now and you're in our environment and we're in yours so why can't we use these new platforms to get coaches to understand our environment? We can submit footage. We can we have the, with the capacity to show them exactly how we train and work. I'm not saying that this has to happen overnight, but moving into a um, moving into a sort of an era where they can actually understand who we are as coaches and judge that versus script us. It's essentially what they're doing is. And you're right. The curriculum is, is fine. The information is fine. No problems with it. And I get what they're trying to do. But I just find going to those. And this is not just me. When I'm there, I'm talking to people and meeting people. And this, the level of stress, the level of angst, the level of nervousness, it's unnatural. Yeah. Everybody's feeling stressed about this learning experience. How would we feel if we made our players feel that stressed? We, we'd probably reevaluate our teaching component and how we're being received. And, and I, for me, like... When I, when I first take a team over, I like to understand how am I going to be received by these kids? Who are they? How do they learn? It, why do we have to do that to our players, but they don't do that to us in these courses? Essentially, we are their players in these courses. So with, with the, the technology where it's at today and how much we've relied on it over the past 12 months, I would like to see options for coaches to coach in their environment and for them from the comfort of their own home to review that i'd be interested to see what they'd say to that yeah because i agree it's hard when you know we've all done the courses where you have to go coach another team that you've never met before you're trying to learn their names on the fly you know right. you have a coaching point and you're like you know you stop it and maybe they knock you because you said stop instead of freeze 
Or maybe they knock you because you're wearing a bib in, or holding a bib in your hand. <laughs> We've all been there, right? I think they said they could automatically yeah. fail you. Um, but it's like, it's not the same because you're not going to be able to use, I don't know, we'll use a team I have right now, right? Maybe there's a, a little kid on my team named Gunner. Okay, I know the way he responds to certain coaching. So when you're trying to, you know, do that in another environment, maybe Gunner, I pull him aside real quick. Hey, you got to try this X, Y, and Z, right? Cool. Maybe I have another kid named Vincent and I can scream a little bit more at him. So maybe in the environment, obviously not drastically screaming, but I can, Vincent, hey, do this, da, 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 da. Okay, cool. But when you're trying to replicate that in a, area where you don't know the players they're nervous because they're getting coached by 30 different coaches in one day yeah i i do believe sometimes coaches may not pass just because of their environment and that's where i think united soccer coaches a lot of their courses are not pass or fail they're more take the course and it's just here for the information we're going to help you along the way and i i remember i took a uh director of coaching courses uh with them and as first five minutes he said everybody don't stress You've all passed. Now that that's out of the way, all right, let's learn. And I thought that was yeah. like amazing because yeah, going in, yeah. I'm like, all right, got to write this all down to be able to pass this course, you know. Roberto, we have a coach down here who coaches within the Cal South um, circle. She coaches uh, advanced advanced license levels, and her and I have had these conversations because she's an ECNL coach here as well. And we, we carpool together or we travel to games together or whatever. We were in North Carolina together with our director as well. And we've had these conversations and she's understanding. You know, she understands it's not just me who sees it that way. It's it's a lot of the feedback they get. You know, why are these feeling more like, you know, driving? It's like I'm going to the DMV. You know how nervous you are when you're trying to get your driver's license. It's like, you know, that's it's, I don't believe it should feel that way when you're really trying to help per, you know push the game forward. And I think more of an educational platform without this anxiety of pass or fail would be probably more helpful. And you'd probably see people like myself who's been coaching for 14 years, go through the licenses quicker. I would have done it. I would have finished already. Yeah, I agree with that hundred percent. Um, guys, we've covered an amazing way topics. I, I, I loved this conversation because it was natural. It was, and I hope the listeners enjoyed it too, in the sense of feels like we're sitting all together Hopefully the listeners understand that this is just a normal conversation that coaches should be having between each other because this is how we're going to grow. So I really appreciate that. Obviously, you heard Cam a lot. Dude, that laughter can brighten up anyone's day. You know, <laughs> we love it. And uh, I hope you guys really enjoyed this. And Matt, I, I want to thank you guys for coming on. Any last advice that you want to give or any last words that you want to give to either parents, players, or coaches? Cam? Uh, man, all I'm going to say is a great team uses this motto and, and just trust the process. <laughs> trust the process. Love it. Trust Love the process. You can edit that out. Trust right? the process. <laughs> you can edit that part out. No, nah, man, it, it, it's been a pleasure being on here, Roberto. I, you know, I, lo I love, you know, any moment we get to chat. It, it's been a while since we took that D course together a long time ago. But no, nah, I mean, for everybody, look, to, at the end of the day, whether you aspire to go with, with the, the licenses, just stay with it. it. Like these guys mentioned, and yes, it is going to be stressful. It is going to be hard. But trust the process. <laughs> this guy. I'll say one thing, and it's, it's cheesy. But you, we talked to Berto about this platform being for, for coaches who might want a little insight on how to create a career path to maybe an ECNL level you know, trying to create a career path to get to these levels. And all I'll say is this, not one time in my career, once, pre-ECNL, did I ever think about all I want to do is coach at the highest levels. I, I just focused on coaching whoever was in front of me and doing the best job I could. And I think when you go into it with purity, when you go into it with focus and that kind of sort of passion for it and level of, I don't know, concentration, you end up where you should be, you, you, you know. And I think that, for anybody wanting to go into these levels and they're at maybe clubs of the community or slightly smaller organizations, don't think about going to ECNL or don't think about getting that big college job. Just grind every day and concentrate on the present moment. Seriously, it goes quickly and you never know where you can end up if you do a really good job of where you're at. That's a great word of advice. Thank you guys. As always, I hope everybody enjoyed it. Um, Trust the 
just the process. Uh, reach out, guys, via Twitter. Reach out via Facebook. Reach out via email. Um, the email is soccercap at rhsoccersolutions.com. We'll make sure to include Cam's Instagram again. We'll make sure to include Matt's uh, social media. That way you guys can reach out to them if you guys wish. As always, guys, thank you. Thank you, Cam and Matt. You Later, it, brother. Have a good night, man. Thanks for listening to The Soccer Cap. Reach out on social media or via email. Let us know who you want to hear from or topics that you'd like to hear about. Thanks for listening. And as always, who will be capped next? Next.